Hey y'all, welcome back to the Zeitcast. My name is Jonathan Martin and I am thrilled to be able to do this episode. I've been looking forward to this for a long time because our daughter, Caitlin Crane, is on for the first time. Welcome, Caitlin. This is amazing. I know. I'm so excited. I've wanted to do this with you forever. I, I no, We've talked about it for so long and it's so special to get to do this with you. Um, I want to set up a little bit about who you are and where you've been and what you've been up to and some things we'll talk about today. But first, just as an icebreaker, I just want to ask you, could you tell everybody your deepest, darkest secret? I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be terrible? Those are the worst questions. You know, I That's awful. Like, what's your hobbies? And I'm like, no. I feel like I you'd answer them. I feel like you'd answer what is your deepest, darkest secret. You're, you could, you're vulnerable. You're honest when you need to be, when you want to be. Um, to that, an extent, <laughs> yes. So... Caitlin is an extraordinary person. So this is her first year at the University of Oklahoma. Yes. So that that's been a good experience so far. Yeah, it's been great. Um, the classes are a lot harder than I thought they would mm. be, especially jumping from high school straight into college. I wasn't expecting the workload difference, but um, I definitely feel way more prepared going into second semester than I did mm. first semester. But aside from school. Um, I'm an Alpha Chi Omega. I love it. Yes. Which, it's by the way, started yes. at DePaul University, the oldest mm -hmm. uh, sorority in America yep. and founded at DePaul, yep. which is pretty cool. We just got a brand new house. So it's amazing. I'm planning on living in the house next year. Mm. Yes. That's so awesome. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much I want to say. I do. I want to make sure I mention, though, too, this has been a pretty remarkable journey that we've been on with all the pageant stuff, especially since... You had no background in this because I feel like in the pageant world, which, by the way, y'all, is a world. <laughs> wow. I mean, it is a whole thing. It's a whole thing. No, it's a whole thing. I had no idea. Yes. Uh, so I've learned a lot. But I know a lot of people that do those kinds of things are like bred for it. Like I think some people, I don't know, like raise their kid like they know they're going to play football or something. You can tell people like have their kids in pageants since they were like three. You, on the other hand, had never done a pageant before. No. How many months did you have before Miss Oklahoma? I prepped for about a year, at least a year, okay. honestly. Um, but I always got made fun of in school, middle school especially, mm. because I wasn't um, in any sports. I wasn't really involved in anything at yeah. school. And I, all, I just wasn't good at any of it. I tried mm. all of it. I tried basketball. I tried volleyball because I'm tall. And it was fine, but I didn't really like it. And I yeah. wasn't that great at it. And so the pageants were a later in life thing for me. But I'm not making fun, <laughs> but it's true that you never had like your thing. You didn't have a niche. No, that's there exactly. wasn't like a school, like a, like, a, like a club or hobby or sport. So and then coming in kind of hot to that and going, which, by the way, when you, when you first started preparing, you basically couldn't walk in high heels. No, so that's that was... a funny story too. Yes, because I hit five nine when I was in seventh grade, so I was taller than all the boys, mm. most of the girls, from a super young age. And so I never wore heels to all of my formals and stuff. If I did wear them, it would be for the pictures, and then I would throw them off. But um, yeah, going from not knowing how to walk in two inch heels to six and a half yeah. is what pageant world heels are. Sure, it was crazy, and it took me about three months, but. But you got it. I did get it. You got it. Yep. And you did fantastic in Miss Oklahoma. Do you yes. want to say a bit about that in terms of how you how you did? Yes. So my first pageant I did was Miss Oklahoma Teen USA, which was the one that I really wanted to win. But it was my first mm. pageant. And I thought I had all of it figured out. I thought I would go in there and win. But I was super, super wrong. There's, I mean, years of preparation and just experience that mm. I didn't have. So um, it was great. It was super fun. But I definitely needed more work, more preparation yeah. than I thought I did, even after a year, just jumping into it with no experience versus girls that have been on like palm team their entire life or dancers their entire life, theater, all that. I didn't have any of that. So that was great. And then I just did Miss Teen International, yes. and he was a trooper <laughs> with us on that. <laughs> How would you describe my role on that trip? Because that was kind of, a, I did feel like that was like a whole new job for me, like a whole new dimension. 
Well, aside from getting Starbucks in the morning. Right. Yes. Yes. When mom was doing my makeup. Yeah. He really held me together so well. Before I would go out on stage, <laughs> he doesn't even know this, but you really helped me so much. Aww. Every time I went out on stage, I would be so nervous, just shaking, unsure of myself and the text that you would send me when I was mm-hmm. backstage just helped me so much. Well, I feel like somebody to pray over you, prophesy over you, and do the thing that I do. But the main thing was more... Because first of all, it's hilarious when you think about it, about the three of us, me, you, and your mom, staying in a hotel room together. Yeah. Lord Jesus. What was that? That was a whole thing in wow. itself. That was crazy. And between you in pageant mode and your mom, the amount of, the sheer amount of clothes in, in that space. No. Uh, we had clothes hanging across the trim uh-huh. on the walls, just everywhere. There was no room. And we thought we were going to have a bigger room. Because half of the hotel was being renovated. So the top half of it was brand new, super nice rooms. And then the bottom half was the really crappy rooms, which we got. One tiny bathroom. um, Mm -hmm. Lord, not to mention they only gave us like two hours before stage time to get ready. So when I was getting ready. Me and your mom in one bed, you in the other. That was really wild. (laughs) And it was a week-long pageant. which My first one I did was only two days. The Teen International, that was six six days long, mm. which was, oh my goodness, it was a rally. It's crazy. Well, and I, I want to talk a little bit about your platform for that in a second. But you did, I mean, I, I thought you were extraordinary in both pageants. Uh, you came out of nowhere. I mean, you were so, gosh, you just, the way you lit up the stage in every way. But you did great. You did really great at Miss Teen International. Yeah. I felt... Just the difference that I felt in Miss Teen International compared to Teen Oklahoma, which Teen International was a smaller pageant. Teen Oklahoma is the USA system, which Mm. is kind of the bigger one that I really wanted to win. But I've only ever done two pageants. So I still consider myself a baby in pageant world. But after just doing one pageant, the second one, Mm. I felt like a completely different person. Mm. The confidence, the walk, the... My mentality backstage, yeah. it was so much better. And I had yeah. a lot more fun because I could relax more and actually take in the experience and make amazing new friends. And my first pageant I did, I was just so consumed with winning mm. and getting the crown. But my second one, I made lifelong friends in that one. Well, you were so poised. Yes. You were, you, you did come in confident. It, you did the thing, which I always see you do in any room that you're in, but you were so caring and nurturing to the other girls which is awesome because you've never done pageants on that level but it's like you immediately slide into this kind of space where you're you take care of the people around you which was really beautiful to see the way you supported all them um i definitely wanted to ask you before we kind of get into some deeper life stuff Mm -hmm. i am by the way i uh my good friends jared mckenna and drew hart just had me on for the inverse holiday special christmas special i thought I'm thinking of this as like our Christmas special. This is Zeitcast Christmas <laughs> special, which I think is great. Um, but I just thought that your platform was so wonderful. Because not, I don't want to sound cynical about the pageant establishment, but I uh, certainly maybe had some expectations about what all that would be in terms of like, you know, what kind of tree would you be sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you went with like a real platform and I you know. talked about real stuff. Yeah. So I'd love for you to say a little bit about what your platform was and how you came to that, Mm because I feel like it's super important. So I really struggled with what I wanted my platform to be because I knew in choosing the one that I did, there would come a lot of complicated questions, which I did end up getting at Teen International. Teen Oklahoma, they were pretty easy, but I got a pretty deep one at Teen International. Um, But I really went back and forth with how in-depth do I want to go if I choose this. So um, I started working with Rise Ministries and they're a nonprofit in Mabel Bassett Corrections Facility. And they work with women and teach them Mm. cosmetology skills. And I actually got to go in the prison with Christy Luther. She runs all of it and see all of it firsthand and hear the women's stories and how they got there and what they're doing now. And just the, the hope that they have in their cosmetology classes Mm. because they know that when 
they do get out, they have something to go to. They're not just being yeah. thrown out there into the world again, which already comes with so much anxiety. Mm -hmm. They already have a job in place for them. And Christy does such a great job handling all of it. Because it really, right, the idea is it drastically affects recidivism rates. Is yep. that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yep. it re whether or not a person re-enters yep. the so, system. Yes. And actually, my, my favorite thing to do is go to their uh, transition home. Mm. Six girls are living there right now, and they are all um, newly released. and. Mm. They all live together, so they're accountability partners. And I went over there, it was actually last Christmas, for their Christmas party. And it was so great. We just sat and ate dinner, and then we did a little financial peace booklet together. And it was just so amazing. The girls impacted me way more than I ever could have impacted mm. them. That's awesome. Well, and it was cool, too, because you were around, and people who are familiar with the podcast mm -hmm. would be very familiar with the Reverend Cece Jones Davis, our dear friend, who also we hosted Paul last year for a men hall lecture, but her work around Julius Jones. And so incarceration in Oklahoma in general, but then incarceration for women in Oklahoma is kind of its own thing. If you want to say anything about that in particular, in yeah. terms of what a unique situation that is here. Number one in the entire world. In the world. So that's that was really why I... I was like, I have to do this. Mm. This has to be my platform because I was going back and forth with bullying and a lot of things that yeah. were dear to my heart that I faced in high school. But I just knew that this was what I needed to do, even though it was going to be harder than a lot of the other ones I could have gone yeah. with. It's such an important topic and nobody really knows about it. So I was like, what a better place to do it than on stage at an international pageant. Yeah. Represent yeah. my own state and talk about this. Yeah. Bullying, by the way, super important, really matters, legitimate issue. Glad for yeah. people to talk about it. I'm not going to say it's safe. I will say it felt like half of the speeches we heard were about bullying. Definitely wasn't anybody else talking about women's incarceration. No, there <laughs> so. wasn't, which I did feel like helped me a lot. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think, and the, you know, the, the way it disproportionately affects women of color here and like all that, it was just, I mean, you so went to the plate and it was so just so poised and articulate and digging into something that really matters there. It was just, it's cool to see the journey you've been on. And, and I mean, the stuff you've done throughout your life in terms of, I know kids have always been a passion for you. Yes. You love working for, with mm -hmm. kids. And it just yeah. feels like I just, just, it's just been so cool for me to watch you to continue to evolve in terms yes. of how you connect to good work in the world. Mm -hmm. That's really special. Yes. Um, so we don't have to just talk about this. I want us to talk about all kinds of things, talk about fun things. But since so much of what I do here is we do talk about God, spirituality, theology, all that. Um, I really would love to say a bit about, and it's wild, by the way, y'all, I've been part of Caitlin's life for five years, right? So, because, yeah. but you're 19. I'm pretty sure you were 12 when we first met. I get my time. Which, this, that's so crazy because I feel like I've known, I've, I don't even know. I feel like I've known you forever. Yeah, it does. It feels like that, doesn't it? But I know it hasn't been that long because I remember the first time that mom came home and she, I think she went to Charlotte for one of your things. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I met this guy uh, and he's uh, my idol. And I uh, was like, what? I was like, you don't have a chance with him. But then we were meeting you like a month later, which was crazy. <laughs> this is not how your mom would tell this story. And I love it for this reason. So like, please say as much about that as you want. It's so great. <laughs> you said you don't have a chance, but that's really funny. We were kind of, no, we were, um, I remember specifically thinking with you, Caitlin, because I was the most, um, because you're the oldest of yeah. four and anybody who knows anything about me knows. I, so I don't have kids biologically. Yes. So all this is a very new space for me to come in. I mean, I'm, 45 now, yeah. but, uh, and it's hard. It, yeah. Give you well, a lot it's of just, credit. well, I don't know. I don't know that it's hard. Actually, it's not been hard in the ways people would anticipate. Mm -hmm. I feel like as a unit, as a family, mm -hmm. we've walked through unbelievably hard things, no, but seriously. being with y'all has never been hard. Yeah. It felt like the first time I met you guys mm -hmm. that we belonged together really did. Don't you, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, it, it felt really like we were did. like a family out of the gate. Yeah. After the, the most recent divorce, I know that I didn't have super high expectations of anybody new coming in, but I mm. do remember the first time I met you, I was like, this, 
this is just right. Mm. I saw you and mom interacting. I saw the way that you interacted with the girls and mm. Kingston just fell all over you and just the type of person that you were. And he's was, so young. I mean, he would, I don't think he'd have memories like, without me, no. but see that it was the opposite with you. And that was my concern yeah. is that since you were the oldest, mm-hmm. I remember just feeling so tentative because mm-hmm. it's like, you just, you don't want to come in like guns blazing, like, yeah. Oh, Hey kids, this yeah. is a new stepdad. Mm-hmm. And like this kind of fine line of wanting you to feel really loved and mm-hmm. supported, but also feel like it was really important to not push that or force that. Yeah. And feel like all of that happened at your own pace in your own time, you know? Yeah, which was so great because you took the perfect approach. I mm. never felt any way but just loved by you. Mm. And I know the girls felt the exact same way. Well, and it's so not, it's just so true that all I've ever felt for you and them is unconditional love. And I feel like it's been, and we'll say more about this, but I feel like you, because the journey you've been on is not an abnormal journey. I think it's a very... It's kind of the prototypical teenage journey, but you've been you've been on a path. I feel like with ups and downs, and sort of like where you you change and you shift and yeah. you kind of become somebody else, and then you kind of come back around. And so it's mm-hmm. but but I never had that experience before. So it's very yes. it's like all experimental for me, and just not wanting mm-hmm. to break anything. You well, know, and you've so. been there for all of the big ones with mm. me, especially. I know the girls; they're still going through. Their Alexa's just now starting her teenage yeah. years, yeah, which. I wish you luck with that. Three teenage girls, you know, <laughs> really. But you were there for all of my ups and downs, especially mm. through high school. Which, um, and I really want to focus in on that. Maybe to go to, I, I detoured myself, but yeah. to kind of what would be my original question. I, I wanted to, I really want to ask you about, because I know you you grew up in, in church yeah. and sort of like what your earliest experiences were of church your understanding of god jesus just what that looked like for you Mm -hmm. growing up it was very pure innocent Mm -hmm. i loved going to church we went to church of the harvest for a little bit and then my grandparents uh they've gone to north church ever since i was little and then my uncle pastors a church in tulsa city church so i always loved going in the kids area and it was kind of an escape for me, especially in middle school. I got super involved in a little switch group at Life Church, loved it. And I went to a Christian school for my entire life for 12 years, kindergarten through 12th grade. And it was great up until middle school. And that's when things kind of started getting a little bit rough for me. And, mm. Oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and that's... um. I don't know. It's like, a, I don't want to skip to any like easy resolutions here, because, yeah. but I thought, I've thought about this a lot for you and with you that first of all, it's not everybody's experience. I think it's, it'd be unique for a lot of people to have all of your education in the context of a Christian school yeah. in a place like Oklahoma mm-hmm. is its own thing. But one of the things, while I know it's, there's been so many things about it, it's been hard. I love that you've had room to kind of go on a long winding road at this point in your life, because my experience was exactly opposite. And I think it's true of a lot of people I know where who grew up in some kind of a Christian bubble and sort of a church bubble and basically everything stays okay and sort of relatively normal. And they don't really deal with anything hard. They don't necessarily deal with any of the, um, I don't know, just any of the, any of the weirdness and the tensions. And then somewhere around midlife, you hit an iceberg and just explode. I think it's actually way healthier to have time to do some of that when you're younger to, Mm -hmm. and and to like have some experience. But that being said, I mean, there's certainly a lot of times that I worried about you just because, Mm -hmm. I mean, you ran to some hard things. So even when you say like about how there was a period where you felt like things shifted, what, what was that for you? What did that look like? Well, back to what you were saying at the age that I started having all these questions and started feeling like, you know, this, this isn't right. This isn't the Christianity that felt right to me Mm. growing up as a kid. I was like, why are none of the adults in my life asking these questions? Why have they never Mm. thought the things that I'm thinking? And it made me feel like something was wrong with me. And I was questioning. What were those things? What were the things you were thinking? I just knew that the system that I was in, the Christian school I was at, the traditional way 
of thinking about God, almost more like fear based. Yeah. I just knew that the, it didn't sit right with me. Mm. And mm. that's what I had grown up with. But the people at my school really started to just make me question everything mm. that I had believed to be true from a super young age. And that was hard mm. because I had never had any questions before. I never questioned anything. It was just a very yeah. pure, I love going to church. I love my little yeah. groups thing. I wasn't biased about anything. It was just very different when I started hitting those older teenage years, especially at OCS. When you talk about sort of the purity of your faith before yeah. and how much it wasn't fear-based, mm -hmm. there's a there's a verse I think about a lot that's been so significant to me, this verse in First John that says, perfect love casts out fear. Mm -hmm. uh, he who fears has not yet been made perfect in love. I feel like mm -hmm. while you, you and your two sisters and your brother are very different, mm -hmm. I feel like all, something, a thread that I see with all four of you and with your mom, yep. who's behind the camera right now <laughs> and very proud and excited, is that you're, I feel like you're all intuitive. Yep. about God and about other stuff. Yep. And there's like this intuitive grasp of who God is where, and not in a, in like a, in a negative way. I know you're not going around all the time thinking about, you're not reading theology books. Like that's yeah. not your lane. Yes. But I feel like you have like, like a, like it just this fundamentally on a human level. I feel like you've always had a grasp on who God is and what God is in a way that's beautiful. Yes. And then it was like the system you were in mm -hmm. was not beautiful. Is what I was seeing. So I mean, much. completely ripped me apart and made me hate everything about God, church. Um, mm. Church now is still super triggering to me if it feels too familiar, which I know is an issue that I have to work sure work out in myself. But um, it just turned me away from anything that had to do with religion as a whole for so mm. long, which I it was it was really hard. <laughs> I feel like, and it's like I could, I don't know. I never felt like I don't, I don't feel like I'm a sage that sees all these things. But I remember just these particular moments where, because I feel like you have always had an innocence about you and the way you think about faith. And you almost see some of these things from around the corner. It's like, oh, this is not heading anywhere good. Not because you're not in a good place, but yeah. in terms of at some point, the sort of innocence and purity of your faith and that system are going to come into conflict somewhere. Yep. I don't want you to say, so there's no pressure here to say more about this than you want to, but I know there was a particular season when you were in high school where it felt like some of this stuff really came to a head. Yeah. Um, so however much or little you'd want to say about that in terms of, because I feel like there was definitely like kind of a defining time for you in terms yeah. of where, what I had seen for years in terms of residual questions, mm -hmm. doubts kind of creeping in, really turning to something more like a full-blown crisis. Yeah. Well, it's it's really funny because all four years of high school, I never caught a break. Um, my freshman year, severe bullying. Parents mm. were up in the office all the time, but it was just never properly dealt with. And I will say the culture of the boys at this school mm. were something that I don't even know how to explain. I don't know if mm. you would have anything to add on how you feel about it. Well... <laughs> I never want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can tell you my, I, I, I am, I do feel free to say like an observation here yeah. because what was so weird about that, but I think is not unique to the school you were at. I yes. think it's kind of a microcosm of what so many people experience mm -hmm. is that there was a kind of purity culture there yes. where the idea is that whatever sexual purity is up to the girls. Yeah. Um, you know, well, men, every man's battle, they all have issues. So uh, it, it basically based on how you dress, how you act, how you look, how you present yourself will completely explain uh, uh, the boy's conduct. That's mm -hmm. kind of all on your shoulder. So what I saw was like kind of a radical misogyny because it was like on any given day. And, and by the way, uh, Caitlin, how tall are you? I'm 5'9", and I hit 5'9", in seventh grade, and that's what I was getting at. I mean, in yeah. starting in eighth grade, my I was being sexualized in a way that I had yes, never yes. 
I had never even looked at myself in mm. ways like that. I mean, mm. if my shirt didn't completely cover my butt, I would get called into the yeah. office and they'd yeah. be calling my mom. If my dress was more than one inch above my kneecap, yeah. I would get sent home. Yeah. Tape measures pulled out on me every day. And I had never even looked at myself in that type of way. I mean, it was Jeez. so damaging. And I even think now when I'm wearing an outfit – and sometimes in the back of my mind, those like dress code rules will pop up in my head. And I'm like, yeah, that it really affected me more than I knew at the time. And it's so damaging, mm. especially when you're that young. I mean, in eighth mm. grade, I was barely 14 years old. It's so haunting to hear you because I've never I didn't give you that language. I mean, it's so interesting to hear you use the language that you were sexualized because that I think it's so right. It's like and the reason I asked height, like so you're. You're tall like your mom. You have long legs like your mom. We laugh about this because I'm six five, <laughs> and literally all three of us have the same length of legs. So yeah. I'm like all torso, but we are all like have equal length legs. No, so like great. when you're like all legs, things fall on you different. So but I, I find this to be I find this to be such an interesting thing. Even the language of being sexualized that before you would have had kind of a sexual consciousness for yourself mm-hmm. that's projected on you. Yes. From these expectations and people mm-hmm. constantly, yes. And on you. what's funny is I actually tried public school in seventh grade. So mm-hmm. a year before I went back to my Christian school, I had been there from pre-K to kindergarten to sixth grade, and then I wanted to switch up. So I went to Sequoia Middle School. I had never had any of those thoughts there. I had no issues there. I was practically the same kid in a Mm. public school. But then when I went back to OCS, my eighth grade is when I started noting the switch and all of the issues Mm. start to surface. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and well, and as those issues are starting to surface, because I know that was brewing like for a long time, but in the way, and I, I, you know, I can't help but think about Jesus language a lot here in terms of, you know, there is a kind of religion Jesus would tell like the religious teachers of his day that makes people double sons of hell it makes them worse off than they were when they started yeah. it's like it's yep. uh instead of setting people free it just gives them it just creates extra burdens and all that yep. so and i watched you just start to carry some of those extra burdens especially when during that season in high school when you were dealing with like really difficult things and then it was like that that system just did not yep. support you is that fair to say yes exactly um and then my so my freshman year was all of the severe bullying from these these boys at my school just felt never ending no matter how many times my parents would come up in the office mm. um and just beg like keep them separated from her it just wasn't anything but I just let that be I kind of learned how to deal with it not yeah. care about it but then my sophomore year I got sexually assaulted by a boy in my school mm. which it's the age of 16 is something that I don't even know how to put into words. I didn't even understand what had happened. I just knew that it was bad. Mm. But being at that school, I just knew that I couldn't say anything because mm. I knew it would be my fault. I knew they would ask me what I was wearing. Why were you alone with a boy? Yeah. And it would be projected back onto me. Yeah. Like it had been my entire life when I would call get called in for what I was wearing, they'd be like, this is distracting to the boys. So you need to go home and miss your class because what you're doing is distracting the boys in the classroom. And I don't want to, it's, uh, it's so brave of you to, to share any of that vulnerably. And so I don't, I don't want to, to hijack any of that with my own rage. But the thing that I always think about when I think about this mm-hmm. is that, and I think Based on the journey you were on so far and some things you're already running into, this was the fear. But yeah. what um, if then when you're dealing with something really hard, but what I think bore out was that sexual assault mm-hmm. didn't matter to them the way that skirt length did. No, it, it didn't at all. I mean, we had actual court documentation of how serious this was. Yeah. Um, like you need to take this seriously. And it just still wasn't enough for them. But I would still get called in my senior year when all of this kind of resurfaced. I I did choose to speak out on what had happened. And I just couldn't hold it in anymore. But 
I was still getting dress coded, called into the office for the minor things my senior year, 18 years old. But then when I would have to go into the office for something related to the assault, it would just kind of be like, you're, you're bothering us. Oof. I'm so sorry you had that experience. I mean, it was also heartbreaking. And, and of course, um, as a father, and I know like, you know, people say what they want in terms of like a stepfather, I very much like, for me, it's like, you're my daughter. Mm-hmm. All of the the waves of anger I experienced, of course, you just want to go and like mm-hmm. bust heads and straighten people out. But I so, it was so hard because I do, there's always been earnestness about you, like a mm-hmm. sincerity and an open heartedness. And I feel like you fundamentally believe the best about people. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I saw in you, even after there were sort of like some cracks in that worldview is that you still really wanted to believe the best about the people in that system Mm -hmm. and what they had told you about God. And I mean, and we talked about this actually right before we started and there were a handful of people I think that you felt like were, did support you in some way. Yep. Yeah. There were, um, Miss Stevens, Loredia Stevens, my high school vice principal. It was so funny. She got me into the pageants, Mm. which honestly got me through that terrible time that I was in in high school um it was so funny junior year she would hold the door open for everybody every single day Mm. and for about a year straight when I would walk in the door she'd be like Caitlin have you ever done a pageant and I was like no I haven't and I've never even thought of that Mm. seriously it never crossed my mind before but I mean every single day for a year this woman was very persistent with me And I would always laugh her off. But then Mm. in March of my junior year, so after months of Mm. her talking to me about this, I finally went into her office and sat down with her, went through all the different systems, found the one that we thought I would fit in the best with. And looking back now, I didn't see any good in the situation I was in, especially at school. But now that I'm out of that and healing from it, yeah. She was such a blessing because mm. I thought there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. It was one of the hardest times I'd ever gone through in my no. entire life. Aside from family stuff, this was probably the hardest thing being at that school. Sure. And she was just that light for me. And it really showed me God can be present with you even when you feel like there's no sight of him at all. Wow. Wow. And she was mm. absolutely that for me. I think about her every single day. I love Mm. her to death. She was the one person at that school that kept me going and kind of kept my faith. Wow. What an amazing thing to say about somebody. And I think, you know, I'm just, I mean, I'm thinking so many things right now. I mean, one that you, in the middle of a system that's that broken, a faith Mm -hmm. system and like a school system that's so, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and your mom's symbolic back here. Um, it was so like, and it was, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, all this was hard for us to, to, to watch. It's not as hard for you to live, but hard for us to watch. And, yeah. but the, the contrast of, because I'm really trying hard not to like get preachy about this, but what I always see wrong with that whole form of religion, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm on my best behavior, so I'm not going to use any other adjectives about it. I don't, I, but just that form of religion is that it's all about image. It's all about appearance. Yeah. It's like what Jesus says. It's about like you care about the exterior of the cup being clean rather than the interior. It's about how it looks yeah. in a photo. It's not, it's not real. It's not based on reality. So nothing authentic, nothing vulnerable penetrates that. And what I love about this particular person is that even this, well, the, the way you talk about how she engaged you, I mean, instead of, instead of operating off of these appearances, which are misleading. I mean, that's yes. the thing we see so often in scripture, like mm-hmm. man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Yep. Um, is that she engaged you with curiosity yep. and she saw you for who you really were. Cause I don't know anybody who's ever met Caitlin that hasn't been overwhelmed by how smart and funny and charismatic and, and like all the beautiful gifts that you have. But it, within that system, you just become the person who's like breaking the dress code. You're like the problem child. That's, and that's what was really hard for me because I'm not a troublemaker. I never was in school. I mean, I was the kid that when I would get, told to be quiet in elementary school, I would start crying. It would Mm. ruin my whole day. I hated it. Um, And then in high school, I was kind of viewed as this really bad child with a Mm. messed up family, the problem family. It would just be better if they 
weren't here, but I also had a deep love for the school in some way because I had been there my entire life. I didn't know any better. But the one thing that I will say about OCS, the teachers there Mm. are truly amazing. Most of them, because they are the ones that sit down with you and truly get to know you. They take the time. They ask you the questions. They know everything going Mm. on in your life. And the teachers were honestly Mm. sometimes the only way that I would make it through the day. Well, Caitlin, I find this to be, I feel like there's something really wise about this. And I find it to be consistently true in religious systems and Mm -hmm. faith systems, no matter how toxic they get, is there's tons of good people. Yes. Who are earnest, open-hearted, sincere, mm-hmm. um, try, just trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think not in, in the same way I talked about you having like more of always having kind of more of an intuitive sense of who God is. They do too. Yep. But the, but they're confined by the system. You exactly. only go so far within the system, mm-hmm. but they, they are doing the best that they can. But the system has such like limitations. By the way, it's just in the things that I've, because I still find this a little hilarious. Mm-hmm. I have to, I have to say this much. I will talk this much trash. Um, because the culture of the school then was so one thing and so like no other ways of life, no other ways of seeing the world. I mean, the fact that we had about not just you, but sort of your family that ever got mentioned in like official conversations like that your mom had a Black Lives Matter sticker on yep. her car. That, that yep. gets brought up in yep. an administrator's yep. office is actually yep. shocking, yep. even in Oklahoma. Yeah, a lot of the kids would always be like, remember when your mom walked in the office with a crop top on because she had just gone to the gym and she had her whole workout set on. Everyone thought it was so vulgar. It was so funny. Those are the things that got brought up. And there's so many things I could say on that, but I don't want to get any of the teachers I love in trouble. But I've had personal conversations, especially after I graduated. I had one of the best teacher Mm. I've ever had in my entire life. She's like my second mom, I would go in her classroom every day. She called me after I graduated Mm. and just, we had an hour long conversation. We both cried together and Mm. I don't want to get her in trouble. So I'm not going to say anything else, but she was, she was amazing. And she saw Mm. what was being done to me and she didn't stand for it, but she couldn't do anything because she's in that system. Sure, Her job is at risk. Sure she does anything, says anything. So I know that was definitely hard for a lot of the teachers that I had connections with. They knew what was happening and Mm. they wanted to support me, but it was almost like they couldn't at all. And it's very mature of you to see that and to be compassionate towards Mm -hmm. them when you wouldn't have to be. But I was kind of, yeah, I just think it's like the, the thing I find so sad without just trying to trying to not just be angry about it, but legitimately sad Mm -hmm. about the way a lot of those systems, those kind of religious systems work is that there's like no capacity to recognize that. Well, going back to where this started, that if you sexualize a person, um, and I think we could plug this in on so many different levels Mm -hmm. and inability to say, okay, the problem is with me. This is your problem. The problem is Mm -hmm. that, how you look. The problem is not what you're doing. The problem is not how you're behaving. I am in charge of myself and my own body mm-hmm. and my own reactions. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, in a culture that I feel like ostensibly talks a lot about personal responsibility, there's yeah. no sense of personal responsibility no. in that way. No. And I really do believe what happened to me truly was a result of the way, just the the whole way the school operated. I mean, it was, it all fell on me. The boys there knew that they could basically get away with anything and Mm. it would somehow be our fault. That was what they were telling them, preaching to them. They would watch us get walked out of class into the office sent Mm. home Mm. because of our skirts. And so there's no responsibility on their part. And even, and no matter how beyond your situation, there were so many others. I think like, it's almost like there's nothing somebody could do, but I remember hearing this, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to derail the conversation, but I think about even like in the church world that I uh, grew up in, I just remember the things that like would be considered most inappropriate for preachers to do. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, and I remember hearing a preacher said it so struck me like, now, if you murdered your wife, you could be forgiven, mm-hmm. but you can't do any of the, and it'd be like that. Yes. It'd be like, okay, yeah. there's almost nothing so heinous that you could do and not get by with, especially if you came in and acted a little sorry, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But then all these really peripheral things, these really superficial things yeah. that seem to be unforgivable, you yes. become labeled like a bad person. And mm-hmm. so um, to bring the conversation a little bit full circle, okay, I'm so 
how did that experience at the school, how did this affect then your understanding of who God is and what God is mm-hmm. and how you connect to, to God? Well, it really confused me. I'd say that I'm still pretty confused. I just yeah. wrote my first um, big college essay uh, for OU. Mm. Um, and my professor, I got a 94 on it. I did really well on it, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which was great. But I kind of wrote about my whole experience mm. and I ended the essay with, I, I really don't know where I stand, but mm. I think there's something beautiful about being able to say that because yeah. the older I get, yeah. even just this year ending, I look back at where I am right now versus mm. where I was a year ago. And I'm so proud of myself yeah, and as you should be. all of the things that I've accomplished and getting through the things that I never thought I would get through mm-hmm. a year ago today. I'm not going to make it out of high school. There's yeah. no way the damage is going to be so far done, but I am really proud of myself for working through all of it. And mm. it, you know, it's still, it's still kind of triggering for me to go to church um, but that's something that I'm I'm really trying to work on. And I think I just need to find my space that sure. feels very different to me because I know that things that feel too familiar um, yeah. to what OCS was like yeah. is what really gets me. But I know one thing, I know that God is love mm. and he, wow. I did, I can always find him looking back on times in my life where I didn't think he was. Wow. I can always see where he was. Mm. And that's enough for me to still believe in him. There's good people. I think people kept me very grounded, you mm. especially, because I would talk to you about this stuff a lot. You and Miss Stevens mm. really held my faith together, what little faith I did have together. I remember thinking at the time, that the more than anything else, the that what I most wanted to convey to you was just that how not freaked out I was by any of those questions or yeah. just kind of like, cause I think the moment that somebody reacts and it's kind of like, yeah. you can't think that you can't yeah. feel that way. That's going to leave this way that it creates the opposite effect of what I think people want. And that yes. where are the ones you have the mm-hmm. sense of like, no, okay. Like you get to feel as hurt as you need to feel. Um, you get to change your mind. If you need to change your mm-hmm. mind, it's kind of, I really probably should have asked about this time because I think probably is worth lingering on that beyond the sort of external. Yeah, there was kind of bullying and these layers of like whatever, but it's, mm-hmm. I think also fair to say deep depression. I mean, this stuff was like, I mean, yes. this was awful. This was. Yeah. No, it was really. Um, and we've been through a lot of things as a family together that sure. I thought were. Tough. They were yeah. tough. Yeah. Um, as a child, especially, but this was, this was the worst thing I, even to this day, have have ever had to walk through. Mm-hmm. Just so traumatizing, and I'm still I'm still healing from it. And sometimes I'm like, it's not working. I'm not healing from it. Even just being back in Edmond for mm-hmm. for Christmas break and driving down I-35 and to all the familiar places. And I don't like it. It is triggering for <laughs> yes, a lot of us. <laughs> it is. I'm like, I want to go back to Norman. If I run into this girl at Walmart or Target mm. while I'm Christmas shopping, mm. like, yeah. I'm going to freak out. Yeah. I don't want to see these people. I don't want to be around this energy. There's an energy to it, especially mm. when I drive by the school. But mm. I think for me right now, what I'm, trying to do especially going into the new year is just let god handle all of it because mm. i honestly don't know how to handle it yeah i'm still super hurt by what happened to me i'm still triggered by church and no. i feel like all the things that i've been trying to do to you know make that recovery more speedy it's just not really been working yeah. so i'm yeah. just kind of letting it all go mm. and happen mm. in its own time and i know it will yeah. because if i'm here where I am today, as opposed to where I was last year at this time, mm. I know God will work everything out in my Absolutely. life perfectly the way yeah. it's supposed to be. So I'm just not rushing anything. That's, and That's amazing. I'm not scared. I'm mm. still hurt, but I, I really do believe that there's bigger things for me in the future. Why do you think you're not scared? Because I, 
if I made it through that period in my life where I did not think mm. there was any way I would ever make it through, and I'm here right now, I know yeah. that God will carry me through whatever else I have to walk through in life. Mm. So, I mean, obviously things are uncomfortable and they're scary, but I just know whatever life has to throw at me that I'll be able to get through. Mm. If I got through high school at that school I was at, nothing really scares me as bad as where I was. Absolutely. But, like, yeah. Like almost what, do, what is there to fear when you yes, face those things? Yeah. There's, there's not anything mm. to fear. I, it's so wise. And I, I, I think it's so courageous of you to say, I don't know where I land about all of this, but I'm not forcing it mm-hmm. because I know one, I, I just, and I feel like this is true in every area for every person about literally anything I can think of. Premature resolutions don't work. I, I'd never try to traffic with you with like super prescribed wisdom, but I feel like that mm-hmm. I can say concretely. Skipping to a premature resolution doesn't work. Yeah. If you try to resolve the tension when inwardly really it's not, mm-hmm. then all you end up doing is faking. Yes. It doesn't create wholeness. It just creates hiding. Mm-mm. It's not healthy. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you stronger. Yeah. So I think recognizing that you space, it's been really interesting for me because I like this journey you've been on now, like for really a couple of years, it's sort of, (laughs) I'm in this funny place because it's like, on the one hand, it's like, oh, Caitlin, well, this is my lane. This is what I do is almost everybody in my life is disillusioned with church, religion, God, and trying to find, to figure out how do you piece something together on the other Mm -hmm. side of that? What does it look like is so much of where my head and heart has been. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I love being able to have these conversations with you. But even in that, there's something that feels very... In the same way that when you were 12 and they're like this sense of like, I can't force anything in terms of my role in your life or something. Mm-hmm. Also like, okay, I don't want to push you anything you're not ready for with yeah. any of this too. Because mm-hmm. I think unless the discovery is your discovery, yes, then what does it really mean? Which that feels a little bit rebellious sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why I'm like that, but I've mm. always been like that. It's my mom and dad when they would be like, you have to do this at mm. this specific time. It would always <laughs> just make me not want to do it more yeah, yeah. and be like, oof. But every single time that I kind of just trust the process, mm. don't stress it, it always works out. And I know that's yeah. exactly how my faith the journey is going to be. So mm. I'm not worried about it. I mean, I wish that obviously the things I went through wouldn't have happened. Sure. But at the same time, I do feel like I'm a lot more prepared than yeah. even a lot of adults are. And yeah. I feel like yeah. when I'm your age, For sure. I'm gonna have so much more to say, so much more that I believe and I feel solid about. Without question, all the best people that I know have lived through these kinds of experiences. Yes. And I feel like as much as I would have wanted to take that pain from you and wish I could rewrite the history and all mm-hmm. things, I, I, I really do believe it's so much better to go through those things younger yeah. because what happens the, this, that you have the capacity mm-hmm. in ways I, that wouldn't have been possible for me as a person who was pretty well preserved in the bubble. And, and Caitlin, I mean, I did not, I don't mean this like in a holy way, but I truly did. I just, there was nothing about my life that was even remotely like uh, marginal or mm-hmm. weird or challenging or rebellious, yeah. even like well into my twenties stuff. What I see like with you is like, Oh, by the time you're 25, you're going to be like this weathered wise old soul because it's the thing. It's like you, these are the things that break you open to compassion and exactly. empathy and like everything that matters. Yeah. Whereas I feel like people who never hit the iceberg in this way can live to be very old people and yet never move into wisdom. And that's what sometimes makes me feel bad about where I am because certain people, when I talk about, you know, what happened to me yeah. with the assault and stuff. They're like, you don't share that publicly. Mm. That's not something that you should talk about. That's a very vulnerable part of your mm. life. But I'm kind of the opposite. I'm like, I have to talk about this so yeah. that nobody else feels the way that I did. Yeah. Because that's exactly how I did feel when it happened. I was like, yeah. I can't talk about this. People, it's shameful. Um, nobody's going to believe mm. me. Everybody's mm. going to blame me. But when you you have to talk about the hard things so that yeah. nobody else feels isolated yeah, yeah. and alone in them. So 
I'm an open book. I'll talk about anything. Um, (laughs) Yes, you will. (laughs) Well, seriously. Mm. Well, you know, you and I, uh, again, not to be real preachy, but maybe I'll let myself preach a little bit here. Like you kind of, I think about all the time, like your, um, even I guess that'd be your, your great grandfather was a preacher. And I think about like, Mm -hmm. I talked to your mom about the things that were kind of prophesied over her life. Mm -hmm. Something I see like in her and you, there's such a, I would not put the confines or the restrictions of, of like ministry language on this because yeah. I think that's trying to steer a thing more than I want to. Mm-hmm. But what I see in y'all is such, there's such a thing, such a common thing in terms of this courageous vulnerability mm-hmm. that sets other people free. And it, and it is, it's what sets other people free. The Catholic author on renown wrote this great book called the wounded healer. And the whole idea is that the way that Christ heals the world is not out of his, strength, not of his power, but out of his wounds. And this is still how God works now. It's Mm -hmm. through people's wounds. And it's actually only the people who are able to kind of be at home in their wounds and talk about their wounds Mm -hmm. that are able to bring healing to others. So it's like those like the most easy people to connect with that you've ever met in your life. Yeah. Vulnerable people that are willing to share the good, bad, and ugly about their lives. They're the easiest to talk to. They're the easiest to be around. They're magnetic. Yeah. Those are always the people that I gravitate towards to the most. And And you're magnetic in this way. You bring this out of people. And I think it's like, but I think there's this thing that happens like when you suffered, you can see it in other people and they can see it on you. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. like a moth to flame. Like yeah. people just like, they know it. They know yeah. it. They know a real one when they see yes, it. Yes. And it, like, it hurts me for them because just little things that people will say or do. I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I remember I felt like that too. Like my sister right now, Ashlyn, mm. she's in her sophomore year of high school and going through all of the, the high school things that yeah. I'm sure 99% of people have gone through. And I keep telling her, I'm like, I promise you. If you can just suck it up, you will get through this. Yeah. You have to be strong, but it breaks my heart for her at the same time because I know exactly how she's feeling. Yeah. It'll never end. Oh my goodness, I have two more years left. But mm-hmm. Ashlyn is so great too. I she's see so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> she's the best. So she'll be completely fine, but so smart. Yes. And speaking of intuitive, I mean she's so dialed in. Like she's an unbelievable person. I mean, you all you mm-hmm. all are. But I think like you the thing that you described, Caitlin, of like is so because I just remember so many times where not like that you were that you were doing horrible things, but just seeing all these things swirling around. Yeah. There's all these moments where I wanted to step in and like make it stop. And there's this yes. sense that I think at every stage of life, but especially kind of when you're growing into a thing where you kind of sometimes the bottom does have to fall out. And yeah. I think the best thing that we can do for the people around us mm-hmm. for whether it's that's for uh, me and a parental role, but I think even friends, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm is provide a space where there's unconditional love, where it's like, okay, no matter where you need to go, exactly. what you need to say, what you're going to do, mm-hmm. you're safe here. Yep. You're loved here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing changes this relationship. Yep. And with this hope that inside the, uh, <laughs> your mom cry makes me cry every time you just stop doing this, <laughs> that the, uh, the security of that, you know, yep. that like, that's where all the, the change mm-hmm. and the beautiful stuff happens, but you can't force it. You can't make it happen. And so many times mm-hmm. like, oh, I wanted to come in like, try to make something happen, but knowing that's not just not mine to do and, and almost having to learn this discipline of like, yeah, it's new to me. To, I didn't know that it was in me to sort of love kids in the way that I love you in the way yeah. that, I, but, it, but this sort of, I, that I can't come in like on a white horse. I can't even tempt any of that. I've yeah. got to let you be on the path that you're on. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm just now realizing when I feel confused, lost, where do I go from here? I don't know where to go. I think I don't know is my answer right now. Mm. But that for some, for some reason that gives me a lot of peace and comfort because then I'm just like, well, then God gets to guide that for me. Yeah. And I'm only 19. Yeah. I have so much time left. I don't have to have everything figured out right now. It's It's just very comforting to me. What are, and we can, we can start to land here and I almost like the fact that this ends on questions with an answers. Yes. So now that there's, there are things that you've learned, there's ways you've grown there's things that I feel like you, you feel like, you know, now, but, mm-hmm. but I always think the journey to wisdom really for anybody is coming to know all things that you don't know, yes. which is ironic because I feel like it's like, I think the assumption of so much of a certain kind of religion is that you need to be certain 
when in reality, I think most of us are certain about the wrong things and we need to be less certain than we have been. Yeah. So I've seen you like go into that kind of uncertainty. What are the big questions? What are the big questions for you now? What are the things that are unresolved that are you're thinking about or a thing in terms of how any of this works or what it looks like or for you? So, so many things, seriously, everything, everything that used to be a solid for me when I was little, I mean, like hell, um, homosexuality, all of that stuff, my mind has been completely changed. And I've been, it's, it's hard because when you grow up being told a certain thing and then where I am right now in life, Mm. it's like any, anything that has judgment tied to it, Mm. I just can't do it. Like Kingston. Um, talking, going back to high school, my junior year when Kingston didn't get into school mm. at OCS, and they um, they told my mom that he couldn't come to school with us because mm. they had a fear of him being yeah. gay, yeah, um, because of the dresses that he wore and pictures that he took of us mm. ha- being with a single mom and three kids yeah. and stuff. So I was always taught like this is wrong. That's wrong. If you do this, you're going to hell. And I've completely thrown all of that away. I don't Mm. know where I stand on it, but I know I don't believe in Mm. any of it. So I don't know. I don't know how to answer Mm. what I believe, but I know what I don't believe. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Kayla, it's more than makes sense. I'm again, I don't want to jump into these things too heavily, but this is wild because I didn't know we would talk about it. Mm -hmm. But this is a, this is a really, particular memory I have in this moment. Yeah. The, it was right before COVID. I know because it was like COVID was happening. It was the last thing that we did Mm -hmm. um, before all that was full blown. So we're talking, this has been several years now, but my good friend, our good friend, Brad Jerzak came in and we did a weekend thing on hell judgment and atonement. But because here's the thing, um, we, um, I don't, I'd be the first to say, I think it's so presumptuous and weird for anybody to act like they know too much about the afterlife or be like, well, how do you know? Have you been there? Exactly. That's what turns me off. I'm like, you have no idea. But especially at that school, it's like they acted like they had everything figured out. Like when you die, this, this, and this is going to happen. And this person and that person for their sins, they're going to be extra punished. Yes. And And I never understood any of that. And it's not, and I really believe this, it's not in the, Bible the way people think it is. No. They take these texts and they piece them together and I understand it, but I don't exactly. think it's what's there. No, I don't. And what that. I, because see, really, even for me, there are all kinds of things I would say constructively, hey, I'd be the first to say, I don't know how all of this math works, mm-hmm. but I know what I don't believe. Exactly. And the yeah. one thing I'm like, the thing I'm most willing to stake my life on, and I know a lot of people aren't super comfortable with that, but like it's not, and it's not even the language that there's not such a thing as hell because. I think there is. I think you've lived it. I think a lot of people are living it in all kinds of ways. And I think there's such a thing as fire, but it's just this idea of eternal conscious torment. That verse I mentioned earlier, that perfect love cast out fear. I've never seen good come out of torment. I've never seen a person get better. I've never seen a person who was going the wrong way, going the right way because they got punished severely enough. I've heard so many different ways of this being explained. Like, my mom and dad, if I mess up mm. as a kid, they're not going to want eternal torment, punishment for me. They're gonna, yeah. just going to love me that much more through it, yeah. through the confusion, through the bad choices I've made. Yeah. And so I've never understood this. Like, If you don't get this, this, and this right in this tiny lifetime that all of us are no. living, there's just no hope for you. You just go to hell. There's, I've, I know, even from a young age, I never really bought into all of that but mm. you know i couldn't say that because I'm, that yeah. went against everything that yeah school and my churches stood for caitlin i'm thinking of a particular early church father um who said something just like this about how like whenever uh, i mean it was this is the language was different because a very different time but there was very much this idea that when a person makes a bad choice it's because they don't see clearly yet mm-hmm. and how would God judge them in based on that when they haven't yet come to a place of seeing clearly there's something you're not seeing yet. And I just, and what I keep seeing about like the way that God's fire works. So I talk about this in like my new little book on Advent Christmas is that there is a, 
how God's fire is purifying as opposed to punishing. So it might be painful, it might be long, but the point is always to correct our vision. So then we can make different kinds of choices that are towards wholeness and integration, Mm -hmm. not to just, not to punish us further. No, exactly. And, you know, like if all of this would have happened to me later on in my life, that's not fair to just Mm -hmm. judge me based on because my your experiences shape who you are as a person and what you believe and right now like a couple years ago if we were going to do the whole heaven and hell thing I don't know if I would have been going to heaven because I was like so just not sure about everything Mm. but Mm. I what you just said is just that's I know that that's right mm. in what I believe. I know the things I don't think are true, yeah. but I mean, how how are you gonna? It's just never made sense to me. The whole eternal torment, yeah. no second chances, just because you don't fully understand everything. And I think mm. all of us are kind of living in hell right <laughs> yeah. now especially in the times that we're living in. For people who think this is scandalous, when yes. Jesus, the word, since the word hell doesn't appear in the Bible, major spoiler alert, the, but one of the words that Jesus uses that people translate as hell is Gehenna. And the word Gehenna was literally the word that was used for the local trash dump where they would, there was a nonstop fire because yeah. you were burning trash, but it was a real place. It was actually a place on earth. Yeah. And so I, th- and I think there's something so to this idea that there are these places on earth and we'll, I know we need to land this. Not just, I have no idea how long this has been going, but it's so profound to me and moving. I just think, you know, Caitlin, you, because I've watched this with you, like, and I, what I'm seeing you happen with you and you're 19 is the thing that took me much longer. And I feel like it's messier when this happens longer. When happens, I, I, I don't, again, I don't love the hard stuff, but I love that you're coming this earlier. Mm-hmm. If perfect love cast out fear, mm-hmm. well, if fear has been the engine of your faith most of your life, mm-hmm. and then now that's not there in the same way, it's really scary and disorienting because it's mm-hmm. like, well, then now would I do? Why would I do anything? Yeah. Why would I do anything right? Why would I do anything moral? Why would I do like? But but I actually feel like that's a thing that keeps a lot of people from growing up and developing morally mm-hmm. is not saying, oh, well, the reason you do a lot of stuff is because loving God means you love your neighbor, and you don't want people to be harmed. Yeah. And you don't actually need the threat of eternal conscious torment to not want to uh, kick the dog, curse out the bank teller, like whatever it is. Like, no, you don't actually need these things to like to want to do right things and to be a good person. No, exactly. And I mean, I know that those four years of high school, those those were hard times previous years with family stuff those were hard and I know those won't be the last hard things that I go through but mm. I just know that I've made it through I've made it this far yeah. so nothing scares me yeah. anymore I feel prepared and I feel even though I say I don't know for some reason I just in my heart I feel more prepared in my mm. faith than I feel mm. like a lot of older people that I talk to are No you've got deep stuff in you and I but, but you got deep stuff but you're also like and this is what makes me feel all the more encouraged too. I think you're as playful as you've ever been and as fun. Yeah. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like you're and not holding on to things too lightly. Yeah. That's also, mm-hmm. I think, part of the maturity. It's like yeah. you're kind of like, yeah. yeah. What is the worst thing that can happen? No, seriously. It's like, mm. I mean, nothing worse can happen no, that I haven't already been through. So you've got modeling gigs that are happening now. That's really exciting. <laughs> um, for people who, um, want to connect with you and the stuff you're doing. What's the best way for people to follow you? Instagram. It's, I need to change my Instagram username because it's ridiculous and long. (laughs) Caitlin underscore Nicole underscore crane. Yep. Yeah. And you're on TikTok. I'm on TikTok. I don't use TikTok a lot. That's Kate, K-A-I-T, T-T, three T's. And then Crane, C-R-A-I-N. Mm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of thought went into the branding. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. No, now that I'm verbalizing that, I'm like, I really need to change that so I can just be like Caitlin Crane. Underscore, hashtag, yes. exclamation mark. That's great. No, I know. And I love, you know, that either that, that you're still like being 
funny and experimenting and mm-hmm. and doing and just that sense of like the growth and journey. It's just so awesome to see that you keep putting yourself out there because I really do think there's nothing more healing and helpful for other people mm-hmm. than for you to put yourself out there while you're still in process. Yes. And I know even now I still struggle with these ways that I feel like certain things about my life or my heart should be resolved before. Mm-hmm. And I, but I feel like as best as I can discern the voice of God, what I feel like God's always saying to me is, oh, no, 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 like you have to, you have to go to people while you're in the middle of this. Not yeah, after you figured exactly. it out. Like when I did my big post about my experience at Ooh. school, I counted, what was the number? I counted 32 people that DM'd me with mm, similar wow. experiences. Wow. A lot of them were girls. A lot of them were guys. And I was like, you know, text me whenever. Yeah. You can tell me anything. Nothing's going to surprise me, shock mm. me, scare me. Mm. And I'm I'm just I'm so willing to talk to anybody yeah. going through similar things. No judgment. Mm. So, if you well, want to talk? That's you so, just DM me. That's so awesome for you to say that. And then, you know, and I and I feel like I'm not trying to be super prophetic, but I feel like having right now. It's like a, such a you break people open. Mm-hmm. And I'm already into it's going to be so fun. The people who are going to say to me like, "Oh, and I know what happened." People are going to say I shared this podcast. I shared this video with my daughter. I shared this with my son. Yep. I shared this to uh, my friend whose son or daughter is going through this this kind of a thing. And that's it's what so, makes it all worth it. Is yeah. Even if just one person can say, I really got something out of this. This really helped me through this period of my life. It makes yeah. sharing the hard, uncomfortable things all worth it. And if you hadn't gone through these things, if you had had this experience, mm-hmm. as much as, again, I would want to change all of that, you you wouldn't be at a place either where you'd be able to. No, and it, it brings out the gifts that everybody has. The hard things that you go through really shows you what you're gifted at and capable for like helping other people through mm. those things. Mm. So good, Caitlin. I'm going to, because this is so good. And I feel like, holy, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stop it right there. Cause I don't think it gets any better. It's one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever done. If I were, I think I can say having not listened to it, if I were to listen to it, hear it, see it, I would say it was one of the best podcasts I'd ever heard or seen. It's beautiful. It's awesome. I love you. I love you too. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for the Zycast, y'all. God, I hated that. Ooh. That was Ooh. amazing. You that think? Was amazing.